Testing, testing. Hey, good morning, church. So we're in Galatians chapter 3. We've been looking at a study in the book of Galatians. It's a very important epistle that Paul read to the believers who were struggling with some issues that were taking place in their Christian experience. And we've been kind of looking at that history and seeking to understand what was taking place then and seeing if we can apply some principles to us today. So we're in Galatians chapter 3. If you'd like to open up your physical Bibles or your app Bibles to Galatians chapter 3. And we're going to be looking at the first nine verses. Chapters 1 and 2, if you remember, found Paul basically defending his apostolic calling and identifying what it was that he was preaching, the gospel that he was preaching. So the first two chapters that we've covered identify Paul's apostolic calling and what he's preaching, the gospel he's preaching. Now in Galatians chapter 3, Paul is basically turning his attention to the Galatian believers themselves. And he's going to be talking about their initial response to the gospel message and then a change that has taken place in their experience since that initial response. That's what we're going to be looking at this morning. We're just going to look at Galatians 3 verses 1 through 9. And we'll start here by just reading those verses and then we'll comment on the verses and try to understand exactly what's taking place with the Galatians. So let's just... Look here in Galatians chapter 3, and we'll start with verse 1, and we'll read all the way through verse 9. And I'm just going to pause for a moment and ask the Holy Spirit to guide our study this morning. Father in heaven, just pray again for your Holy Spirit. Thank you so much for this church family. Thank you for the young people. Thank you for reminding us of the gifts you've given us for this Thanksgiving celebration that we've gone through and for this Christmas celebration that is just upon us. And Thank you not just for the young, but those who are older. Thank you that this church family, this church body is made up of of four generations of people that have come together because we have one purpose and goal, and that is to receive and to express the love that you've given us in Jesus Christ. We're praying in his name now that you will continue to bless, that you will continue to to be with us, to encourage us, to strengthen us in this Christian journey. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So as we get into this, I just want to welcome all the visitors that are here this morning. I see a lot of faces that I haven't seen before, and I'm just thankful for that. And some faces that I've seen, but it's been a while. So it's good to have you here at our Four Creek Church. Paul begins Galatians chapter 3, verse 1. Oh, foolish Galatians. Hmm. Who has bewitched you? Before your very eyes, Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed as crucified. I would like to learn just one thing from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by believing what you heard? Are you so foolish? After beginning by means of the Spirit, are you now trying to finish by means of the flesh? Have you experienced so much in vain? if it really was in vain. So again, I ask you, does God give you his spirit and work miracles among you by the works of the law or by your believing what you heard? So also Abraham believed God and it was credited to him for righteousness. Understand then that those who have faith are the children of Abraham. 
Scripture foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles by faith and announce the gospel in advance to Abraham. All nations will be blessed through you. So those who rely on faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. Now these verses totally represent my experience as a Christian. Completely and totally. I became a Christian in 1984. I accepted Christ as my personal Savior. I didn't know anything about any denomination but the Catholic Church. I was raised a Catholic. I didn't know what an Adventist was. I didn't know what a Baptist was. I didn't know what what anyone was outside of the Catholic Church. I just knew Catholicism, and then there was the rest of the world. I had just accepted Christ as my personal Savior because a young man had been witnessing to me at the place that I worked. It was a hospital. And this young man uh, had just accepted Christ as his Savior, and he was going to what I understand to be a non-denominational church. He was going to Calvary Chapel. And so I naturally started going to church with him because, well, it had been his witness that had kind of brought me to this place of accepting Christ as my Savior. And that led me step by step to the place where I finally ended up in contact with Adventism. You know a little bit of my story. My sister became an Adventist and I was trying to get her out of the Adventist church because I thought it was a cult because they went to church on Saturday, which I thought was really weird. In the process of all of that, I not only became an Adventist, but I started, well, I got into ministry. I started actually teaching and preaching and doing all kinds of ministry full-time. I kind of left my job at the hospital, and I just kind of started working for God in everything I was doing. And in the course of that, it was 1987, I found myself going door-to-door, and I I was knocking on people's doors, and I was inviting them to do Bible studies. And there was a couple, an older couple whose doors I knocked on. And I remember this, this date. I remember it was 1987 because of certain events that took place right there. And it was March of 1987. And we knocked, I knocked on this couple's door and they were really enthusiastic. I gave them a track and the track was entitled 100 Facts About the Sabbath. I was just on fire to convince people about the Sabbath, and I had a hundred facts that I wanted them to, to hear about this, so I gave them the track, and they were very enthusiastic, they were very positive, they wanted to have Bible studies, and I thought, this is great. Now, I didn't know that this couple were Jehovah Witnesses, and Jehovah Witnesses love to have Bible studies because that's part of what they, they do. They, they qualify in their church, they qualify by having Bible studies with people, and so they were eager to have a Bible study with me, not because they were eager to learn what I was teaching, but they were just eager to have a Bible study so they could invite the elder over and say, see, we're having a Bible study. And that's exactly what happened. I went over to the house, and I was trying to be, you know, like, very, um, I don't know, tactful, And so I just brought a little pocket Bible. I had it in my pocket. I wasn't trying to, you know, have this big Bible or any kind of books or tracts. You know, I was just kind of come across, you know, just to be wise. And and when I showed up, an elder showed up with two, back in the day, because we didn't have these little devices back in the 80s, two suitcases, literally book bags full of books. And we got there about the same time, and I had no idea what was going on until later, and we got into this Bible study, and so I'm sitting there with this couple, and he's sitting there watching us. And he interrupts as soon as I start, and he says, so you have a hundred facts about the Sabbath. Well, let me ask you some questions. And he starts opening these books, and he begins to, to, 
to put questions in at me. And as while I'm answering the questions, he's reading an answer in the book. And as soon as I get done answering the question, he reads another answer in the book. And then he goes to another question and another question and another question. And on and on it went like this until the whole environment was completely charged with, well, it was just charged. It was so frustrating in the end because I was arguing about and defending the Sabbath and I thought I was doing a really good job. You know, my sword was sharp and they got to the place. He got to the place, I should say. The young, the older couple was just sitting there listening. He got to the place where he was just like, I don't even want to pray with you. We're done. You know, we're finished. This is over. And that Bible study ended and the couple didn't really invite me to come back. And so that was all history. Now, fast forward 10 years ahead. And the reason why I'm sharing this is because my experience before I became an Adventist was one of focusing on Jesus and focusing on the gospel and focusing on righteousness by faith. But after I became an Adventist, my experience was one on focusing on the law and focusing on the Sabbath and focusing on the doctrines and focusing on proving people that I'm right and the Bible backs me up. Fast forward 10 years. I'm in Spokane, actually, Deer Park, Washington. I'm at my mother-in-law's house. She lived there um, from about 1993 or 4 onward for a few years because we were the first couple children in her family to have kids. So her first grandkids kind of came from us. I think that's how it went. It was close, yes. So she moved up there to be close to the grandkids, and I think close to us. And I was at her house when... A knock came to the door and she couldn't answer the door, so I told her I would answer the door. So I opened the door and there in front of me were two Jehovah Witnesses. (laughs) So 10 years later, they're coming to visit my house, or at least my mother-in-law's house. And of course, they do their normal thing, you know, and they start talking about religious things and they're trying to kind of figure out what to give me because that's what they do. They start talking about, you know religious things, the Bible, and then they try to figure out where you're coming from and figure out what they can give you that will be good literature. And so I engage with them right away. Now, I've come through a whole experience of returning back to the foundational truths of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And as I start talking with these people, I start telling them about this wonderful Savior that I have named Jesus Christ. I don't mention anything about the law. I don't mention anything about the Sabbath. I don't even think about that kind of... I'm just thinking about Jesus. Gospel, 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 gospel. All I can talk about is Jesus the whole time. And I know pretty much that they're Jehovah's Witnesses. I think about the experience that I had with them before some 10 years earlier, but I'm just talking Jesus, 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 because that's all that my heart is filled with at this time. And they say to me, in the course of the conversation, they say to me, yeah, but you know, it's important to keep the law. And I'm thinking in my brain, this is amazing. This is amazing how this works. And so I respond to them and I say, oh yeah, oh yeah, I know it's important to keep the law. I'm a Seventh-day Adventist. I keep the law. I even keep the Seventh-day Sabbath. And at that point, you could see their faces, their countenances drop. We've just encountered something very unusual. We've encountered someone who is so into the gospel that we have to remind him that it's important to keep the law. And as soon as we remind him to do that, he reminds us or tells us, love the law, love the Sabbath, love everything about it. That's where I believe we're at in Galatians chapter 3. We're at a place, we're at a point, we're at an experience 
where Paul is speaking to a church who has forgotten, like I forgot in 1987, the foundation, the basis, the bottom line of the Christian experience, and that is the gospel of Jesus Christ. He calls them foolish. He says here, and we're going to look at, we'll look at this in two sections. We'll look at it in verses 1 through 5, and then we'll look at verses 6 through 9. Because 1 through 5 are dealing with the experience of the Galatian Christians, and 6 6 through 9 are dealing with Abraham and his experience. So we'll start here with verses 1 through 5. He says to them, you are foolish Galatians. Now that word foolish, it means unthinking. You're not thinking this through. You're not thinking this through. And I remember, I was thinking this through. I was just like, facts, facts, facts. I've got to convince people, convince me. But I wasn't thinking this through. You're not thinking this through. They, they were, he's implying here in his words, that they had irrational behavior. When we emphasize the law and being saved by the law or just emphasizing that law to the neglect of Jesus Christ, we're not thinking this through. Our behavior is irrational. That's what Paul is saying here. And he's suggesting this in very strong language. They're not perceiving, they're not understanding the implications of the choice that they're making because the implications are that they're rejecting the gospel. And this is because they've, they've turned away from the gospel and they've started relying upon the works of the flesh. And that's a term that he uses, the works of the flesh. And he goes on to say it this way. He says, who has bewitched you? Bewitched you. Now, I was on Facebook this morning and I read a post from uh, someone that I know that lives in England. And the post was this. Maybe I should go to it. I think I can remember it. At my age, it can be difficult to remember what you read on Facebook just the morning before. I don't know if you can relate to that at all. The post was this. Why do Africans worship the devil? And I was really shocked at that post. Why do Africans worship the devil? I thought, what, 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 what do they mean by that? And then there was a clarification. I'm talking about voodoo. And the fact that many Africans are inclined to, to voodoo and to witchcraft and that kind of stuff. I thought, oh, okay. So then I responded. Probably because I do and you do and we are all inclined to worship the devil. That's probably why they do. They just do it in a different form than we do. That was my response. All of us are inclined to devil worship in one form or another. And sometimes we look at people that are not Christians or people that are in other denominations or people that are in other cultures and we think, oh, look at them, they're worshiping the devil. And we don't realize that we are, here's the word here, we are ourselves being bewitched. Bewitched. That's what voodoo, voodooism is being bewitched, being, being captured in a spell. That's what voodoo, I think, is all about. And that's what the Galatians, Paul is telling the Galatians, you're being bewitched. You, you, God, there's a spell is being cast upon you by the God of this world. Who, is, who has cast this spell upon you? Now, the word here is in the singular, but he's speaking really about the Judaizers. That is, believers who are trying to bring the law as the main emphasis into the Christian faith. Judaizers. But the reason why he's using, I think, the word in singular, who rather than they, who, is because behind the Judaizers was Satan. 
Satan is behind every counterfeit gospel. Paul talks about this in 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians 11. He says, I am afraid that Satan is going to come in with a counterfeit gospel, a counterfeit Jesus, and a counterfeit spirit. And he's going to bewitch you. He's going to undermine your foundation, which is in Jesus Christ alone. I'm afraid of that. Now, I know that happened to me, and I didn't even know I was bewitched. I moved away from the foundation without even realizing it because I got so zealous for the doctrine, so zealous for the facts that I'd forgotten or left off the person of Jesus Christ in what I was saying and what I was doing. Who has bewitched you? So Paul's concerned that the Galatians have turned their backs on the one and only hope of salvation. Do we ever do that? Jesus Christ, him crucified. That's why Paul is referring to the Galatians as bewitched. He is bringing this message back to the Galatians. This is your only hope, he's basically saying to them. This, is, this was the heart of the message I communicated to you. This is, this is the foundation of the gospel. Paul then tells the Galatians, tell me, he says in verse 2, tell me, I want to learn from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? Now, our title this morning is called Legalism Defined. Legalism Defined. You won't find legalism in the Bible. That, that word is not, is not used in the Bible, legalism. But this is the closest you're going to get to it right here. When we think about legalism, when Paul described legalism, the way he described it was with this phrase, the works of the law. The works of the law. That was what he meant when he was talking about legalism. The works of the law. So Paul here is describing two fundamental methods of salvation. This phrase, the works of the law which is his typical expression for legalism, or salvation by our observing, observing God's rules versus salvation through Jesus Christ alone. Those are the two ways of salvation he's laying out for us. Are we saved because we observe the rules that God has given us, or are we saved through Jesus Christ alone? Are you saved by the works of the law or are you saved by the Spirit and believing what the Spirit has told you by faith that Jesus Christ has accomplished for you? So, so Paul, now I just want to clarify something here. Paul's not against the law. I mean, one of the reasons why we're here today on Saturday is because we believe in the law. That's why we're here. We believe that the law includes keeping the Sabbath, remembering the Sabbath day to keep it holy. We believe that. So Paul's not against the law. We're not against the law, but we are against the law being the way that we're saved. Like trusting in our being here as the way that we're saved because we're here on Saturday and the rest of the world is lost because they're not here on Saturday. We don't believe in that method of salvation. So, and we know this because even when we get to chapter 5 of Galatians, Paul establishes the law. He identifies the law as the, as the very thing that should be seen in our lives, the fruits of the Spirit based on the law, which is summarized in loving people and loving God. So Paul is saying here in verse 2 of Galatians, he's saying here, did you receive the Spirit by observing the law, using the law as a method of salvation, or did you receive the Spirit through faith in Jesus Christ as your Savior? And that's the question we need to ask ourselves this morning. 
how did we, how did we begin this journey? What was it? What is it that caused us, that, that motivated us to turn away from the world and walk in the Spirit? So under the law, we are required to follow it perfectly. If the law is our method of salvation, Paul says to the Galatians, you're going to have to obey every single, every single iota of the law you're going to have to obey. And sometimes we, we try to do that. I think sometimes, I know in my life, I have produced lists of all the things I need to do and check those off and all the things I, I shouldn't do and, and make sure I stay away from those. And, and I compare my experience with my list. Did I do everything that I'm supposed to be doing? And based on whether or not I accomplish those things, I relate to God. If I've accomplished those things, then God's my friend and, and I'm his friend. If I haven't accomplished those things, then, then God may not look at me very nicely. He may not like me very much right now. But, but as I get back on track and start doing those things again, God will love me again. Paul is saying there's no way, and I don't know if you've ever experienced this, but if you've ever tried to walk with God and, and, and have a Christian experience that's based on the rules, checking off the rules. Have you ever noticed that there's just, there's just another one that you missed and another one that you've missed and another one that you've missed and there's another and another and another and another and pretty soon you find yourself completely overwhelmed because there's so much that you cannot do. The perfection that is required from the law is an impossibility for us to actually attain. Have you ever noticed that? Because the law requires us, for example, to love all people at all times. I just want you to think about that. The law requires us to perfectly love all people at all times. Now, I fail at that before I walk out the door of my house in the morning. And especially if you put my dogs into that thing, you know, because this morning my dog, one of them was barking at whatever. He was barking at the air. I opened the window, I'm like, Duke, stop barking at the air. <laughs> Get in here. Okay, I love that dog. I really love that dog. I think I do. But he's barking at the air and it's bugging me, it's waking me, it's getting me out of bed too early. Now, under grace... God supplies us with this Holy Spirit, right? And the work of the Holy Spirit is not that it produces works that merit our salvation. The work of the Holy Spirit is that we are saved by the doing and dying of Jesus. So the Holy Spirit points us to Jesus, points us to Jesus, points us to Jesus. We get convicted of our sins, but the Holy Spirit continues to lift up Christ, to lift up Christ, to lift up Christ. And Paul is saying, that's the way you were actually saved. You were saved by the work of the Spirit. The Spirit came to you, convicted you of sin, and pointed you to a Savior. Convicted you of sin, and pointed you to a Savior. The works of the law convict you of sin, and point you to yourself. And you're left there. But the Holy Spirit comes in and points us to Jesus. So, when the Holy Spirit works, He makes real in our experience through faith in Jesus Christ, the very things that the law requires. The Holy Spirit works them out in our life. So we see the Holy Spirit producing in our lives the fruits of love. The very things that we lack naturally, the Holy Spirit begins to produce within us. And we, we see that through the gift of the Holy Spirit, through the power of the Holy Spirit, we find ourselves doing things that we never would have naturally wanted to do. That, that even the law itself cannot compel us to do. 
The Holy Spirit, therefore, is vital for us in our Christian walk with, with, with God. Because the Holy Spirit is, is showing us that when we fall short, when we are convicted of our sin, when I wake up in the morning and I realize my own wretchedness, that my salvation is in the perfect life and the substitutionary death of Jesus Christ. That's the first thing the Holy Spirit wants to remind me every single day and every single moment. You see, Jesus Christ has my back. He's got me. He is my righteousness. Now, we use that phrase a lot, righteousness. Christ is our righteousness. What does that mean? Well, righteousness simply means right doing, and I'll say this, right dying. Right doing and right dying. So, so let me just break that down a little bit more. Righteousness means right doing and right dying. So Christ did both of those things for us, okay? He lived love perfectly. Christ lived a life of perfect love. He perfectly loved every human being on planet Earth, perfectly, right? And then he went to the cross and he died for all of the imperfect love that we have lived. He received the consequences of all of our imperfect living. So he lived this perfect life, lived love perfectly, and then he died as a consequence of all of our imperfect living, and he gave that to us as a gift. Therefore, Christ is our righteousness. He's our perfect love-living person, and he's our perfect substitution for our failure to live love perfectly. He's taking care of all of that for us. That's what it means that he's our righteousness. He's our right doing. He's our right living and our right dying. So, now what we do with that determines our destiny. And what was happening with the Galatians was Paul had communicated that to them and they'd accepted that. But then the Judaizers came in and they said, yeah, but you've got to add a few things. There's things you need to do also. And the Galatians said, oh, there is? What, what is that? Well, you've got to do X, Y, and Z. Specifically, you need to be circumcised and you need to keep the whole law. You need to talk about, we need to, you need to be keeping Moses' law and not just the, the, the things that you've learned from these guys. We've got more things that you need to do. You've got to, you've got to be following these other things. And the Galatians started slipping away from their perfect trust in Christ's life and Christ's death. And they started depending upon those other things that these Judaizers were telling them that they needed to do in order to be right with God. And that's where Paul realized, oh, you're being bewitched. You're being deceived. You're being misled. So the answer really to this question, did you receive by the spirit of Faith, or did you receive it by the works of the law, by the hearing of faith? The answer is really obvious. We, heard it, we started our journey by the Spirit of, of God. We started by faith in Jesus Christ. We didn't do this by the works of the law. There's no way we could do it by the works of the law. The answer is obvious. But, but in verse 3, Paul goes a little bit further, and he, he reminds him. He says, after you begun by means of the Spirit, are you so foolish that you're going to rely on the flesh? And I think that's sometimes the trap we fall into. We come to Christ, and, and get this, because this is the way I came to Christ. I had nothing to offer Jesus when I came to him. I was living out in the world. I had sin upon sin upon sin. There was no way that I, I could say to God, you know, that I'm worthy of anything. I just had to come to him the way that I was. I came to Jesus just the way that I was. And I was so thankful that I had found in him salvation, full and free. Amen. I was just so thankful. But then my life changed. And I started living differently. 
I started living for God. I started going to church. I was going to church two and three times a week. When I started studying with Adventists, I was going to church three times a week. I was going to church on Saturday. I was going to church on Sunday, Calvary Chapel. I was going to church on Wednesday, Pentecostal youth group. So I was going to church three days a week. I was like, this is so great. I love it. My roommates didn't even see me for six weeks. I was just in another world. Now, all of a sudden, there was an opportunity for confusion to come in. Because people start saying, man, your life has changed. James, you're such a good person. Wow, you should be a pastor. Look at the stuff you, wow, your life. I want to, hey, would you study the Bible? And I'm thinking, well, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Maybe there is something good about me. Maybe there is something better about me than all of my friends who are still drinking and partying and doing all those other things. When we start living for Christ, there's a danger that we could start thinking that the life we're now living has some kind of merit in itself, some kind of goodness, something that makes us better than other people. And that's where the Galatians were at. That's where the Judaizers were at. And that's where we can be bewitched. Nothing changes in our lives when we change that merits our salvation. We don't get more saved. By living a Christian life. Our, our good deeds that we do don't make us more loved of God and, and special or blessed, or excuse me, better than other people. We are blessed, that's true. And we could say in a sense we are special. But we're not better than other people in a sense that God loves all human beings. And we're not better than other people in a sense that they are to be looked down on and judged by us because we do certain things they don't do. We act certain ways they don't act. That's the danger of legalism. That's where we fail of keeping our feet on the foundation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that's where the Galatians were at. So Paul is speaking to them earnestly here. Are you so foolish that you're now going to rely on the flesh? Because you're going to fall flat on your face. You began on the platform of justification by faith. You entered under the umbrella of God's grace and now having been experiencing this wonderful experience, are you now going to finish by works? Is it now going to be based upon what you do? That's foolish. Paul says to the Galatians, having begun in the spirit, are you now being made perfect by the flesh? Paul is basically saying here that the righteousness that we receive through faith in Jesus Christ is perfect. It's complete. We can't add to it. We can't improve it. We can't make it better. It's completely and totally everything that we need everything that we need. And in one sense, we could say it this way. We're taken care of. God's taken care of us. And that's what—that's the good news of the gospel. And the more we rely on that good news of the gospel, the more it impacts our lives. And the more we let it impact our lives, the more it can impact other people's lives. As soon as we slip into the idea of the works being the way that we measure our relationship with God, just as soon as we do that, we start measuring other people that way. And the way we treat other people, the way we act toward other people or react toward them becomes detrimental. We don't have the impact that God wants us to have in the lives of other people because we assess them based upon performance rather than based upon the doing and dying of Jesus. And if we can see people with the glasses of the gospel, with the doing and dying of Jesus, it will impact their lives in ways that are just beyond, we can't even imagine what it would be like. And that's what God is calling us to. That's what God is calling the Galatians to. So he basically says here, have you experienced so much in vain? 
if it really was in vain. And he's talking here about all that they've experienced. Now, I want you to think back because one of the things that's really helped me, and I hate to say this, but I'm going to say it anyway. I need to say it. One of the things that's really helped me in my Christian walk is to remember what it was like before I became an Adventist. I have to remember what it was like before I became an Adventist. Because before I became an Adventist, I was saved by the grace of God. Before I became an Adventist. Before I became an Adventist, when I came to Jesus and I gave him my heart, that was it for me. And when I became, let me put it this way, when I was introduced to Adventism and I started studying with Adventists and I started learning about the law and learning about the Sabbath, the reason why I was receptive to that was because I had been saved by Jesus. That's why I was receptive. I was so in love with Jesus because of all he had done for me that I was, my experience could be summed up in the words Jesus said in John 14, 15, if you love me, keep my commandments. And the actual Greek verbiage there reads like this. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. If you love me, you'll keep my commandments. And I was like, well, I love Jesus. He's done everything for me. The least I can do is keep his commandments. I mean, if, if it's a matter of going to church on Saturday versus Sunday, why not? If that's the day that God has recorded, if it's Wednesday, if it's Thursday, if it's Tuesday, I don't care what day it is. I love Jesus. <laughs> I'm going on the day, whatever day it is that he set aside. If he has an appointment with me, I want to keep that appointment. If he's going to meet me, I want to meet with him. Because I want, to, I want to please him. Why? In order to be saved? In order to gain his goodness? In order to gain his favor? No, because he's given me the whole thing. The whole bundle has been laid in my hands. It's a gift, Ephesians says. Salvation is a gift. And this time of the year is a good time to remember the gift that God has given us and the fact that we should open it. We should open it. I mean, December 26th, I'm hoping any gifts you get are going to be opened. When people go to the trouble of going out to, to look for, to purchase and order and wrap and give us a gift, the least we can do is what? Open it up. <laughs> open it up. And God is saying, I've given you a gift. I've given you my gift of Jesus Christ. I've given you the gift of my heart, my love. I've done everything that is necessary for you. Please open that gift. And then Paul turns his attention to Abraham. And what he basically says is, hey, Abraham, receive this by faith. The reason why he's turning to Abraham is because he knows the Judaizers can relate to Abraham. They may not be able to relate to Paul. They may have a hard time with what's happening with the Gentiles, but they can relate to Abraham. And so Paul goes back and he says, remember the history of Abraham. And that's what I love about this because I think of myself. Remember your history, James. Remember how you came to Christ. Remember the history of Abraham. When Abraham was promised this righteousness, was it through the law or was it by faith? And Paul says it was by faith. It was by faith. Abraham was promised this by faith. And that's the basic conclusion of our verses here. But in closing, I just want to share with you these four reasons why it is we can't mix these two methods of salvation. We can't mix the works of the law, legalism. We can't depend on our works for salvation, even one little tiny bit. We can't do that. We've got to trust completely in Jesus Christ. Now, the reason we do this and get into all this trouble, get bewitched, is because, number one, and here are the four reasons, number one, 
We are, by nature, self-dependent. Now, I don't know if you can relate to that, but it's hard for us to admit that we need help. We are, by nature, self-dependent. So the gospel is good news only for those of us who don't have any confidence in ourselves. We're like done with ourselves. We figured out that there's nothing good in us. We are not innately good. We're not naturally good. We don't have to try to, to, to build up the goodness that's in us. We are completely broken and we need a righteousness outside of ourselves. But we're naturally self-dependent. So that's one of the struggles that we have because we think that somehow we can do some part of this. We can't. We can't. Number two, our motives are off. This is another reason why we're susceptible to this. Our motives are off. The reason why so many Christians fall into this trap is because we project to God the love that we have as humans. We think our love is this way. I love you only if you love me. That's how our love works. It's hard for us to love people who don't love us back. We usually love people who love us. We like other people if they like us. But people that don't like us, do you love those people? Naturally? Are you naturally inclined to love people who don't like you? No. And so we project that to God. We have a hard time believing that God loves us, especially if we don't love him. If we see ourselves as unlovable and, un- and doing things that aren't lovable and doing things that aren't right in relation to God, we have a hard time thinking that God loves us. But he does. But we have a hard time with that. But God's love is not like human love. God's love is on a completely different level than our love. So we've got to allow this understanding to change. Number three, pride. The flesh is proud. It's egocentric. It's, it wants to, to make some kind of contribution. We have a hard time admitting that we're spiritual beggars. Our, our entire dependence is on God and we can't add works to it that we're saved by grace alone. And then number four, and this is the last one, number four, inclination. I don't know if you've noticed this, but we are by nature legalistic. The whole world works on a system that is by nature based on works. You know how it is. You go to school. If you want to graduate from kindergarten to first grade, you know, you got to, from first grade to second, from second to third, from third to fourth, from junior high to high school, from high school to college, from college to get your degree, you've got to earn it, earn it, earn it, earn it, earn it. You want to get a paycheck, you've got to put in your hours. You want to get retirement, you've got to put in your years. What might, the whole system, which is identified as spiritual Babylon, in the book of Revelation, is all based on works. And every single week, every single month, every single year, we're reminded that we're inundated with that. And then the gospel comes along, and the gospel says, hey, it's without money and without price. And we're like, what? No, we, we automatically, uh, it's suspect to us. Free? No, nothing's free. You know nothing's free, right? Everything has a catch. God says, no, the gospel's free. Well, no, there must be a catch somewhere. There must be something you want me to do to earn this. No, it's free. No, wait a minute. Uh, I don't think so. No, I know there's a catch. I know I've got to do something. No, it's free. Our natural tendency is to, and that's why God gave us the Sabbath, by the way, because the Sabbath, every week it comes along and it reminds us 
to stop. Stop working. Stop thinking. Stop depending on yourself and just rest. Just rest in what God has done for you, what Jesus has done. Just rest. And you know how hard it is to do that, right? Because we want to make that last phone call. We want to make that last business deal. We want to make that last contact. We want to keep going. The world is inundated, us, in our lives, and it's hard for us to just stop. And I tell you what, there is nothing like stopping once a week and just, because it completely recharges you, completely recharges you. But we don't want to do it, especially when we're young. My, my, My kids, the Sabbath is boring, they would say to me. We can't do anything. I say, oh, you mean like you can't clean the kitchen and you can't take out the garbage and you can't clean your room and you can't do your homework and you can't. I said, yeah, there's a lot of can'ts. And when you get to be my age, you're going to be thankful for those can'ts (laughs) because it's like, oh, God figured something out about our nature. And what he figured out was we need to take a break. And apparently the only way to do that is for God to actually put it into our DNA and say, you need to stop right here, and I need to get you back to this. And I I found after Sabbath keeping for a few decades now that I look forward to that time when I can just rest. And now I anticipate it. I get stuff ready for it. I'm inclined to say no, no, no to all the little duties that are around me and to just rest. And I find myself having more energy the rest of the week because I've taken that time to rest and to take a break and to unplug or to recharge. So it's my prayer. It's not only my prayer, but it's my hope that we have experienced this freedom in Jesus Christ, that we have been set free by the gospel of Jesus Christ. There's nothing, there's no human being, there's no human philosophy, there's, there's, there's nothing, I'm praying, that can sidetrack us from this wonderful truth of salvation by grace alone, which is made effective by our faith in Jesus. The gift of faith that is given to us that causes us to put our complete trust for our salvation in Jesus Christ. Amen? Father in heaven, this morning I want to thank you for reminding us in Galatians chapter 3 of this beautiful, amazing message, of this beautiful gospel truth, for taking our minds and our hearts back to the experience of the Galatians and the burden that Paul had for them, and just for recognizing that our complete salvation is found in the doing and the dying of Jesus. May we never forget this, and may this motivate us, and may we share this wonderful message with everyone we meet, if not in word, in actions, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. singing go tell it on the mountain everybody will you please sing it with us
silent flocks by night Behold throughout the heavens There shone a holy light Go tell it on the mountains Over the hills and everywhere Go tell it on the mountains That Jesus Christ is born. Very nice. We want to invite you all to our fellowship meal. We're going to be having it right after church in our annex. Uh, There should be plenty of food for everyone, so please stay and join us, and we can fellowship together and enjoy. Someone turn my mic off. There we go. Let's pray together. We're good? Father, I want to thank you again for this beautiful message. Please empower us to tell our mountains. Tell it in Jesus' name.